welcome to Board Game Binge. The place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Kevin Levy, a game designer we recently signed at Tin Robot Games. His upcoming title, Cities of Venus Civil War, is expected to launch in 2025. Kevin, welcome to the binge. How you doing, sir? Well, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> it is great to see you again, my friend. We talk uh, on, a, on a fairly regular basis. Um, but I thought it would be kind of cool for this particular episode because I know there's a lot of listeners out there who are either budding game designers or are looking at trying to figure out where to start, right? In that whole circuit of, you know, pitching and, and going out and play testing in a professional setting and things like that. And given that you just recently went through this and still go through this, I thought you were the kind of the, the optimal guest to have on the podcast. And of course, selfishly, you've got a super cool game you're working on that we're going to be talking about <laughs> yeah. very shortly. <laughs> Uh, so for starters, um, for those who don't know you, um, what, what's kind of, what's, what do you do for work? Like what's your day job? So I'm a fire protection engineer and, uh, I kind of go around doing regular code compliance, hmm. making sure fire departments are able to do what they need to for various facilities. Uh, it's an exciting job and, uh, I really enjoy it. Uh, I got a master's degree in it, uh, many years ago after a mechanical engineering degree. Oh, wow. Now, did you have to do any kind of like, like firefighting training or anything like that? Or is it purely based on code and understanding kind of uh, from that perspective? So in school, it was a lot of fire dynamics, like the Navier-Stokes equations that uh, mechanical engineers go through in thermodynamics. Well, we just focus on the fire element only. Um, later on in the job is when you learn the codes, mm. and but we did and really relish what uh, little firefighter training they did let us into. I got to sit in a room, full firefighter gear on, the smoke's coming down from the ceiling as we're burning uh, pallets in front of us, uh, smokes. running up four flights of stairs, completely out of breath, breathing through that mask, and then burning a car once. Wow. That was cool. <laughs> now, is this the kind of thing, I guess, with the engineering training, you can kind of look at... I guess after the fact of something that's happened and kind of work back and say, okay, this is likely how this happened. Like, do you get into that kind of um, learning at all? Fire investigation. Yeah, Uh, sure. Uh, The one rule with fire investigation is that we know so little about fire that it is ultimately truly hard to tell unless you have a smoking gun or literally a a match. Yeah. How knowing how the fire started is really, really difficult. Yeah. So. It, and scary stuff too, right? Like fires move so fast. And uh, I, I know a lot of uh, our Canadian listeners, right? Um, experienced the the wildfires here in Canada this past year. And this is for the first time. I, I'm not too far from Toronto, which is in the center of the country. And this is the first time I can even remember walking outside and being able to smell and taste the smoke in the air. And that was from, you know, thousands of acres of uh, forest just completely in flames uh, north of me here. And then again, that we ran into that in Western Canada this year. So certainly fire is something that I think a lot of people are paying a little bit more attention to uh, as of late. Um, now, that kind of surprises me that you wouldn't come out with like a like a fire game or something to do with like, like fires. Was that ever a thought when you were doing your game design? One of the funnest uh, prototypes I played at Origins, where we met in person the first time, yeah. was actually a, a wildfire fighting game. I played uh, that no, game. I, I never uh, 
I never really got a chance to design one myself or anything yeah. like it. I, I'm a sci-fi nerd in, in some ways and uh, all things space are really fantastic to me and uh, really love the cities of Venus from the moment I saw the yeah. original like Kickstarter, we're going to launch this thing and uh, just had my own ideas about where we could go with battling cities uh, floating through the sky and all that kind of stuff. Now, how, how did you get into game design in the first place? Is Have you been gaming your whole life? Or are you more recent to the hobby or, or how did that work? I moved to Knoxville in about 2015 and just okay. joined a local board game group here and started, found that there was something more than Catan out there. I thought I had like found like, oh, this is something, Catan's like something no one knows about. But then yeah. this group that they were all tired of playing that they had all these new games to teach. I learned a new game every single week I went. And now I uh, relatively lead, or at least I organize that group. Uh, we have a couple meetups each week. Now, is it any games, or is it just play? Is like, is it playtesting like uh, designs, or is it regular games, or what kind of stuff do you guys do at this meetup? So the Knox Game Makers runs the prototype playtests mm. once a week on Wednesdays, um, and we have two different meetups on Saturdays. Uh, one at a board game house, one at someone's physical house uh, for other things so we're connected with the knox game makers and uh i would love to uh yeah that's a lot of gaming my friend that's like three nights a week of gaming now did you um yeah now did you i guess you joined these when you first moved to knoxville just kind of as a way to meet people is that how you kind of started is that is that fair or? yeah I, I looked into a couple things on meetup.com it's not a dating mm. website uh <laughs> and looking at the uh the Knox maker space where they're just like make anything here's a 3d printer here's a laser cutter let's see what we can do yeah or, or maybe a sewing machine and looking into a couple different hobbies on there and one of them was the Knox area board gamers so oh that's, that's cool that, how I initially got into this more in-depth board gaming and then the pandemic hit and I thought maybe I could make a game <laughs> now was that like something you had kind of always thought about in the past or is it just like downtime because the pandemic is like okay i gotta do something to keep myself from going crazy uh really just got inspired by a couple different things the uh a piece of music called warbringer by Lindsay sterling mm. and the fat rat uh, yep. it's an absolute banger and um that was just playing in my head over and over and i'd seen mortal engines the same week and i was like man giant cities battling just needs to be a game why is this not yeah. one of the board games we have on our shelves and Th those two things just playing over and over in my head it really developed it from there like what do i want in a board game what are my favorite concepts like the ebb and flow of power in a game between the lead player and another yeah. um i could list a couple games that demonstrate that and i like hex grids so <laughs> that's in the game too <laughs> and then with this um so you know and where we first met i mean we had met before kind of online through online. uh prior to origins uh where you had actually pitched this to us right this this game you had created at the time it was i believe uh, red rainfall was the it was a name of yep. kind of this this world or um kind of story that you had created and you know you had obviously been doing the circuit for a bit and and we and I mean, there's a learning here. We're going to talk about this a little bit in a second too, but sure. you know, your first email, I turned you down, right? You sent me a second email. I turned yep. that one down as well. Right. And uh, it wasn't until we, <laughs> it wasn't until we met at origins. I'm like, Whoa, wait a second. Uh, I think I made a mistake. I literally used those words when I was talking to you. I said, you know, I made the mistake that I didn't give this more time. Good lesson for me as you a did. publisher 
Um, but there are some certain things that changed between iteration one and iteration two. And, and for me, that was presentation, right? And I'm a very visual person, right? And, and a lot of people are, quite frankly. And this even gets into my own game design. When I'm you know creating a game, I will always do either a game crafter version or I'll try to create something like with sleeved cards and so forth and I'll use whatever I can find online, whether it be you know existing clip art images, things from maybe Shutterstock, stock photography, or even AI, right? Uh, just to kind of get that concept down on paper because like me, a lot of people won't give things a chance, right? Unless they can kind of visually see it and be like, okay, I can kind of immerse myself in it. It's a shame, but that's the reality. And um, we're humans. Yeah, we are. I feel it too. Yeah. And I remember the first couple of times I'm like, ah, it's floating cities. We're kind of doing floating cities. I, I don't know. This is, it, it seems like it's, it's, it's not really going to complement what we already have. Right. And it wasn't until after our campaign, you know, blew up and did quite well. And uh, for those people who still want to back it, they can do late pledges still. Go citiesofvenus.com, or even if you go on Kickstarter, you can find uh, our campaign page for late pledge. That's closing, I think, in about two weeks. So uh, it's kind of final, final call for late pledges. And uh, the manufacturing's already begun on that game as well. But when when we created this world where, you know, there's really a lot of thought behind, you know, how can we continue to expand it, right? How can we take the story beyond what we've done? And I didn't want to do what the traditional thing was where you see a lot of games that do well, they'll go and do an expansion where it's just something that kind of bolt on to the existing game that doesn't really add anything new to the game experience. It just kind of adds a little more variety and kind of refreshes, you know, the, the number of times you're going to play because maybe you've already played the game out. We really want to have standalone games that fit within the universe of, of cities of Venus, but we're all, their own games, their own game style. And, you know, Adam, my uh, brother and game design partner, we both agreed that, you know, if we're going to create other games in this universe, it has to be something that stands on its own and is a different play style uh, than, than the ones that came before it. So, you know, under that lens, um, and I'm going to show on the screen for those who are, and I see there are some people in the lobby here watching live, um, is I saw this image uh, when I came and saw you in the playtest room. And you had, uh, and you actually said, Hey, James, <laughs> I'm Kevin. And again, I was like, again, so many games around us are in this pro spiel. And I looked at the game. I was like, Whoa, what is that? Right. And, and we Good. sat and we, we played it. And for me, it was that visual that just hit me. Right. And the change you made from that original game, which was more, I believe it was a rectangle or like a square yep. board, right. It had hexes. Mm-hmm. To then this, where you had, again, it's all art that you're using as stand-in art, but the colors and, and you know, the fact you had this, this giant kind of circular planet that these cards kind of go around this, this arc around the outside that's in orbit, I could see it, right? And you can see the minis on the table that look like little mini uh, stations. It's like, okay, now I see how this fits into the story. And Adam and I had been talking for quite some time that although... Um, the style of Cities of Venus is very much Euro where everyone's playing their own game and they're, you know, you're competing against, you know, a pool of common resources. Your game is very much a, a, a take that kind of game, right? A versus game. And that was something that we wanted to have in the portfolio as a game uh, style, playable style. And uh, so it just fit. It just fit. And, uh, you know, it was so cool to um, a get a chance to play it at, uh, at Origins, but then, 
um, you know, I talked afterwards and I said, you know what? I talked to Adam, you know, I've play tested this game online with some friends and uh, we think it fits. And you guys, you and I came to a licensing arrangement where now you're part of the, the cities of Venus team. Right. And this game's going to come out in 2025. Mm -hmm. When you were pitching this to other people, um, can you walk us through and the listeners through kind of that whole, how's that process work? Right. So somebody's that's got a game idea that they've polished enough that they can present it. Um, how do they go about getting it in front of people? How do they go about kind of pitching and so forth? So let's start off with the getting it in front of people. Walk us through that process. Get it in front of a people early and fast is one of the first recommendations you hear about uh, board game design. And by the time I presented it to you um, at Origins, I was on playtest 150 or so. Yeah. And that was very different than the first time I presented it to a publisher, um, uh, the guys that made Wreck and Ruin. Mm. It wasn't like an official pitch. It was just, hey, I've got a publisher who's willing to talk to me, maybe give me some advice, but I'm going to do my best regardless. I mean, who knows? You get lucky. But that was like back at Playtest 30. <laughs> and it was a ridiculously different game. All of the art at that point was clip art. Um, yeah took some early advice that was also really good and that was get it in tabletop simulator mm. uh, or some other online platform because my ability to share the game with other people depended on being able to reach them and yeah. ultimately getting people into the room with you at one of these conventions is probably the best way but after that the way you make a connection do follow-up play tests all that tabletop simulator was my go-to platform yeah and uh even with clip art, I felt very confident each time I pitched it uh, to people. Uh, I don't know, remember, but I think the first time I pitched it to you uh, was definitely with that. Uh, I just like the barest outline of this is what a gun turret looks like. And yeah, that's still better than some of the text I used to have on the cards a long time ago describing that. But that's where you start. You start with let's describe what we're going to do mm -hmm. and let's see that the mechanics work. Is this game fun? Is like your ultimate yeah. challenge question initially. And if you can have fun with the game when it looks terrible, then it's worth in investing your time more. Still mm -hmm. invest as little money as you can in a concept going into it, even a passion project. Uh, but yeah, and find people you can pitch it to. And online is definitely one of the ways I reach the most people. Um, yeah, probably half dozen publishers said, "Yeah, sure, we'll play online," and gave me some great advice with it. The conventions are definitely the best place I went and got uh, interaction with publishers, though. And then without the conventions, is it like a pre-sign up list? So if somebody's like, say, for the next, I think it was a gamma next one of those. Um, uh, like how do they go about it? Do they, so they look, go on the gamma website or they'll go on the origins or Gen Con website and they look for what, like an unpub uh, link or for unpublished games or how do they do that? Unpub is one of the best uh, places I found for organized play uh, throughs mm -hmm. of your game, not a direct connection to publishers. I found that before a convention, looking at the list of publishers that are going to be there mm. and then reaching out to people specifically that have a catalog that is, either similar to your game or it's mechanics they would like, um, things like that. It, you have to, each publisher is going to be entirely different in what they're looking for. Your concept of we want a game with different mechanics than we've done before is entirely different than um, 
the people who made uh, terraforming Mars. Yeah, they're looking for something similar to terraforming Mars, but at the same time, not terraforming Mars. And yeah, it, my game had no hope of pitching to them because it was too duplicative ultimately of what they've already done, but not a Euro, which is what their audience is expecting. They make Euro games. They need a Euro. I don't, I have a take that. Knowing your audience is important too, right? So that's a great um, way to say it. I had, uh, I was at uh, BreakoCon, and mm-hmm. there was a, uh, uh, and I think he was actually at origins too. I think we ran into him at origins too. And he had come up in, uh, I can't remember his name, but he had pitched, uh, came up and said, hey, I got a couple of games I'd love to, to pitch to you. And first and foremost, I think most publishers are, are nice, are nice people and are, are, are fairly approachable, right? Yeah. It, as long as they're not in the middle of trying to sell something to, to uh, you know, to somebody who, who wants to buy their game, if they've got some downtime, they're more than willing to usually give you a couple of minutes of their time. And I remember some of those individuals, I said, you know, I need you to... It's got to be rapid fire though. So bring over your one page uh, pitch sheet and take me and take me through the pitch. And it's like, it's the elevator pitch, right? And it has to start there because if you go too deep, you're going to burn someone's time who may not be a right fit. So the one game was like this kind of educational type game about, um, I think it was about bugs or something, like but it was, it was an educational game and, and that's not what we publish. So right away I said, uh, okay, what, what else you got? Like I cut him off and I said, what else you got? And and I'm going to explain why I cut you off in a second, but show me your second game. You show me the second game. Wasn't a fit either. And what I, what I said to the individuals, I said, you know, my portfolio is, you know, we have the games that I, we launch under 10 robot games and it's even on our website. It's gateway type games. Uh, you got to be able to teach somebody in five minutes or less. It's something that um, is uh, plays, you know, anywhere from one to six players, hopefully a higher uh, player count and takes uh, roughly, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. That is, that's the Goldilocks zone of what we're looking for. And um, I said, but I do know a, a publisher that does publish these type of games and let me put you in contact with them. And I put him in contact with this other publisher and, uh, and he, he was thankful and he went and reached out to the publisher. So it's not necessarily bad to talk to a publisher if it's not necessarily a fifth or portfolio, but in a case like that, you, you want to research what the publisher is, right? So I had, uh, I'm going to Essen in a couple of weeks and I've already got a couple of emails where a person said, Hey, we want to bring our game by to, to show you. And right on their box, it says two to five years old. Well, it's clear they don't, they don't know anything about tin robot games. That's, that's what they call like a spray and pray, right? They're just mm-hmm. hitting as many people they can and, and hope that they're, they're getting the right zone they would be better to come by the booth and say, Hey, you know, I've, I've got a game that plays uh, for ages two to five. I know that's not within your portfolio. Is there any publishers that you know that you could potentially uh, connect me to that uh, mm-hmm. or point me in the right direction? People are usually pretty excited to say, Hey, yeah, let me, I, I know quite a few people. Let me put you in contact with somebody I think is, is probably a fit for what you're looking for, or I can at least send you in the right direction. I do that all the time. Uh, you know, I, I meet a lot of people on this podcast, obviously, and um, and and often, you know, that I'll keep that name. And if there's someone down the road that is a fit for that person, I'll make an introduction. And um, you know, I guess the lesson there is just make sure you know the audience and tailor your message specifically to the audience uh, as, as best you can. That pitch sheet is going to tell people real quick whether it's even in the zone. Mm-hmm. The three yeah. most important bits of information, like the age range, the time the game plays. And yeah. the number of players. And I was fortunate to have a game that fit what you were looking for. Yeah. As opposed to designing my game to become what you needed it 
to be. And you got to find a publisher that matches with that. And some yeah. of that's a little bit of luck, I'll admit. But that one, I think there was there was some luck there. It was a it was serendipitous that we met at Origins. Uh, so we'll call that fate, right? That we connected yep. there. Um, but certainly, you know, the initial iteration of your game was, um, you know, floating cities. So there were some similarities there, obviously. Um, but yours is about, you know, getting water, right. And kind of reclaiming water from the planet. And, you know, it took a little bit of me kind of digesting the game saying, okay, how could this fit in with our current, with our current synopsis? Right. And, um, it was after kind of, you know, thinking about it for a good week that I was like, okay, I got it. You know, it's not water. It's the V-Night, right? In our game, you're constantly mining V-Night. You're, again, going after V-Night in the sequel, which is uh, Seas of Venus Survivors. Mm -hmm. And then your game, again, V-Night is going to be the core uh, resource that uh, helps power the ship and that you're battling over. So once we're able to kind of make that mental connection, it's like, okay, we can we can make this work. At that um, point, drills became mining mechs. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, a few other right? things. It, yeah, yeah. It was easy. <laughs> it rolled. <laughs> and, and, uh, I, I think one of the things for me is that when, um, you know, people are pitching games to a publisher, the one thing you have to be cognizant of is that publisher is if they sign you one, you're signing that they are going to take the ball from there. Right. And it may or may not look the way you originally pitched it. Right. So, I mean, you could have stuck to your guns and said, no, it's got to be water. It's got to be red rainfall, in which case, I mean, we, we couldn't really move forward from there. So your willingness to say, yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, this is going to have to be reskinned under your franchise. I want to be part of that franchise. And having that openness, I think, is um, important to people to be uh, cognizant of as well, right? That, that that's coming. It, rarely will somebody take a game, you know, as is without any changes, like very rarely. You got to yeah. know what you're going to be willing to negotiate on. And for me, becoming part of a larger catalog of games, especially with my first design, yeah. that, that's that's actually kind of the dream there. It ultimately, maybe someday I'll design a game that people make a whole catalog of games from. But yeah. becoming part of something else here was absolutely thrilling for me as far as what I was looking for in my adventure. This started as a hobby. Yeah, it still is a hobby. Yeah. And uh I want to see where how far I can go with this. This is a lot of fun for me every day. The other thing I would say is, and I think this is important for people who are uh, designing and pitching, is that, and it's different for every publisher, but for me as a publisher, and I can say this is something similar to uh, Connor McGoey from Inside Up Games. He and I were having a conversation a couple of months back, and I was saying to him, I said, you know, um, when you're, you're obviously since Earth, you're getting pitched you know, tenfold what you're getting pitched before. How do you sort through it? And, and how much are you still kind of, con, you know, changing the design and, and, you know, really kind of putting your thumb on it. And it was interesting that conversation because it really made me kind of reflect and adjust my approach. And what his comment was, is he said, you know, James, we are again, because now the engine's going right. Mm -hmm. We time is now the, is the resource. And I don't have a lot of time if the game is not a functioning game, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not fixing it. It's over to them to fix it, right? They got to fix that stuff and bring it when it's ready. And if it's not ready, then we move on to a different game. And it was insightful to me because that's a shift from designer to publisher, 
right? And he was a designer as well. And then now he's he's mainly a publisher. Likewise, Teen Robot Games is kind of headed in the same direction. Um, and and that's why someone like yourself, and I would say, um, you know, Reed Muscola is another great example of this, who just recently did Catnip Auction House with us, is these are the kind of relationships I'm now seeking out, right? Where it's not just somebody saying, here's my game, see you later. <laughs> Let me know when it's published. It's no, no, no. You understand that I'm driving the bus, but you're on the bus, right? And I need you to be participative in that because you know your game better than anybody. I'm going to help steer and guide to make sure it fits within our portfolio, some things that we think we need based on our experience in, in launching prior titles. Um, but you got to be participative in it, right? So you've been great in that regards. You know, and you know, it Thank helps you. you've got a 3D printer where you're 3D printing stuff. Uh, you're probably one of the fastest people I've worked with in terms of turning things around quick. And there it is right there. There's a little city of Venus right there. He gave me the model and like the next day I had this out because, well, I wanted one. (laughs) Yeah, they look cool. For people who are uh, are listening, um, uh, Kevin just held up to the the screen. We had a, um, the the city from our box, uh, I had my 3D um, designer actually create a 3D version of that because Kevin had his own 3D ships that he'd been using in the game. So we had the STLs made, and of course he's got a printer. So he uh, he cranked out some copies right away. Still waiting for mine to arrive. I checked the mailbox again today; it wasn't there. But when it comes, we're going to paint it up, and I'll get it on my shelf behind me. Um, but that's helpful, right? Having someone that's saying, "Hey, you know, I can turn some things uh, around quick." You know, you and I'll talk about board, des- you know, the the player board design, and we've had a lot of discussion around that. I don't have to do it. You're going and making those adjustments, and 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 you know, tweaking and play testing with your group, and finding out if it's working. So. That is incredibly helpful. So I want to thank you for that. And that would be the advice for other uh, designers out there as well, that the more you can bring to the table and, you know, most designers, I think the reason why they're not self-publishing is because they want to go with a publisher who already has the following, the email lists and all that. And, you know, they're going to piggyback on that, but you can't just kind of punt the ball and then move on. There are some people that do that, but, you know, the more participate you can, especially with smaller publishers, uh, it's much, much more helpful. So that being said, as a designer, what else can you t- can you talk about? Like, I know you're working on Cities of Venus, uh, Civil War, but is there anything else you you can talk about that you're working on uh, aside from that? Well, I am ADHD, so uh, <laughs> I found ways to motivate myself over the, year, over the years. And when I need to procrastinate one thing, I do something else. To and basically, sometimes Cities of Venus is what I do to procrastinate other things, and then sometimes other things are that. So I recently designed a uh, came up with an idea for a concept that I don't think we've seen before. This is an instantly resettable timer mm-hmm. that uh, as time runs out, the sand is running off center down here and the whole device eventually uh, after you, it goes far enough tips and rolls, alerting everyone at the table that it's uh, it gone off. Mm-hmm. Also, just by the nature of it, it uses a counterweight in order to shift how much time it takes for that to become off balance. I could see any number of games uh, with existing timers being improved by this. And I'm trying to find the best way to pitch this as I've now invented a toy and I need a game to go with it, or I need other games that already use it. So I've tried my hand at a couple of things, talking to Hasbro and uh, that's going to be a no go for them. They've got, already got like digital versions of Pictionary out there. They don't need more gimmicks. They've got their gimmicks. Um, 
so I'm looking to make a game now that kind of centers around this. And I came up with beavers hate streams. Uh, <laughs> the concept that, uh, hey, beavers, why do they do what they do? Well, it's because they absolutely hate running water. It turns out there's a little fact based in that too. And mm -hmm. that's always fun. And uh, you're going to have different rounds that are different times. Uh, so you decrease the amount of time around takes to kind of amp up the energy as the game goes. And I think that's going to be a good way to demonstrate how these timers work for us. I got to tell you, the the engineering side of you is uh, it, it just it, it's a head scratcher for me, man. You, you, it is cool. The stuff that you've shown me that you're working on. And I, I told you this off off air uh, a week or so ago is it's very reminiscent of two other uh, designers that I know. One is uh, Tanner Yarrow, who did uh, Flip Die, and he's done a bunch of other creative kind of innovative things that he's brought to the board game industry. Uh, Nandy Kim would be the other one who did uh, Spill. And uh, seeing him at some of the Protospiel events and some of the things that he has, for lack of a better word, invented, right? Because I think I really see them as two different things. I see one as design, game design, and then I see invention being, okay, this is something that doesn't exist yet um, that can be either a fun kind of spin on the board game industry and take flip die, for example, that's a, a die that flips like a coin, right? And it randomly generates a number like a dice would, but you're flipping it like a coin, which is pretty cool. Um, that on Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, he did a great Kickstarter on that, but it it was something that he was able to add to the, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and RPG world, and, and it fits well in there. Um, you know, Andy, some of his uh, his designs um, have kind of this fun novel um, aspect to them that, again, when they get paired up with the right game, whether they take the game that he's and he's did kind of what you're talking about now is he took that thing he created and he created a game with it. Now, if a publisher takes that, they'll either take the game with it or they'll take the device, but it's still kind of cool seeing that people are still creating stuff, right. Uh, for this industry. And, um, it, it's exciting times because everything is iterative. Everything is building on what came before it. And I, I can't even imagine 10 years from now, what kind of board games we're going to be playing. Right. And I don't think the answer is going digital. And I know a lot of people think that's a natural progression is all oh, you got to go you know, let's get a board game into like a digital format on a digital table. And that's not the future. The future is coming up with cool tactile things that you can pull out of the box and, 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 and make that tactile experience that much more enhanced. I believe anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, there's probably room for both, but definitely that thing in my hands. Are you going to sell me a game that I have to go download an app for yeah. in order to have a variable timer? Or am I going to have the timer in the box without any batteries at all? Or that's a, I'm working on my pitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, Kevin, I want to wish you all the best uh, in this uh, coming year in your game design. Certainly, I'm very, very excited about Cities of Venus Civil War. It is coming in 2025. It seems like it's far away. It was really not. Uh, and uh, each time we have our meetings and talk about the progress, I just get more and more uh, giddy about the direction it's going. For people that do want to check it out, I'm putting a link in the show notes to your Facebook group where they can go and check it out and see kind of the updates on, on that. Again, if there's people that want to check out Cities of Venus, the initial game uh, that just finished on Kickstarter, it is uh, got late pledges now, and that wraps up in about two weeks. So if you still want to get in on in that, you can go to citiesofvenus.com or on Kickstarter, type in Cities of Venus, and it'll come up. Kevin, all the best, my friend. You take care. Thank you very much. Cheers, brother. 
This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time. Thank you.